Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hey, WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically, nothing costs $2 anymore. You could, like, get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap, and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join, or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Politicos, Queen's Park Watchers, Canadians. Hello, and welcome to the third annual Dougie Awards. It's great to be here with you, Jonathan, on an almost spring day for what could be the final Dougie Awards ceremony, where we recognize the highs and lows in Ford Nation over the past year-ish. That's right. If Doug Ford loses the June election and disappears from the public eye, the Dougie Awards could be taken off the air or become a shell of themselves like the Golden Globes or the Much Music Video Awards, which may or may not still be a thing. But for now, like Ontario, the Duggies are open for business. And unlike a PC party fundraising event, you don't have to donate $1,000 to attend. In past years, we've honored our Dougie Award winners with custom decals, as well as vanity license plates that became invisible to the naked eye as soon as light hits them. This time, we'll be highlighting Doug Ford's love of both license plates and stickers by handing out $240 rebate checks to our winners, just as the PCs are doing for drivers this spring. If that isn't an election year prize, I don't know what is. 
It's great to be here live to, well, not, not so much live to tape, live to SD card in the Canada Land studio at the corner of Richmond Street and Spadina Avenue, at least one of which is now Hollywood famous thanks to Pixar. Allison Smith, publisher of Queen's Park Today. And in eighth grade, I won the Class Geography Award, which I don't think was because I was particularly good at geography, more that my marks were just pretty good, so they thought they had to give me something. And I'm Jonathan Goldsby, news editor at Canada Land, and every year I closely follow many awards, but especially the Canadian Screen Awards, because I'm always curious to see how many nominations were earned by the previous year's Canadian Screen Awards. And this is Wag the Doug, a monthly podcast about Doug Ford. Our first category of the evening is Most Surreal Moment. Jonathan, who do you nominate? Well, not so much a who or even a what as a when. I remarked last month that the darkest days in the modern histories of Canada's big cities have generally been marked by excesses of the state. Think the October crisis, the G20. But that what was going on in Ottawa last month with the convoy occupation was an incredibly unusual situation defined by a feeling of abandonment by the state especially as the thing dragged into its third or fourth week. What I overlooked, or perhaps it just buried in my memory, was how Doug Ford's mismanagement of the pandemic in the spring of 2021 achieved the extraordinary feat of instilling both kinds of panic at the same time. The third wave in Ontario was scary, and like it was scary in very large part because of how clear it was that the government had abdicated its responsibility to take any meaningful action. And that Doug Ford didn't seem to understand what paid sick days were, let alone why they're crucial for public health. The provincial government's plan appeared to consist of seeing to what extent they could get the federal government to wear their failure. And then, to show he was getting serious and acting tough, Ford granted police forces extraordinary new powers to enforce COVID measures. Powers so bafflingly needless and probably unconstitutional that many forces openly declared their refusal to avail themselves of them. That period of terrifyingly apparent governmental flailing eventually ended with the premier tearfully apologizing at a press conference in the backyard of his late parents' house as reporters just let him have it. Columnists have recently said there is no effective leadership at Queen's Park. Are you sorry for closing playgrounds? Are you sorry for not limiting essential businesses as, as scientific advisors have called for? Are you sorry for not instituting paid sick leave for the past year? Do you still have the moral authority to lead this province as premier? So my nominee for most real moment is pretty much the whole week of April 16th to the 22nd or so, 2021. My surreal moment happened just before, well, sort of in the midst of the time that Jonathan's talking about. It was the moment when Premier Doug Ford told the press gallery that his daughter cut his hair with dog clippers. Like many Uh. things that happened during the worst of the third wave of COVID last spring, I managed to really push this 
out of my brain completely until we were planning for this episode. But what a truly surreal time wow. capsule that is. <laughs> um, Could I hear the clip? Yeah. I, I look like a sheepdog. And so we literally got some dog clippers and I got it on video to prove it. Or I know you guys are going to want to see it. Yes. <laughs> my daughter that lives at homes, never cut anyone's hair in their life. I just sat in the chair and said, honey, go to town. And, uh, you know, we couldn't even figure out how to work these clippers. And I grabbed them and zinged half my head so it's half bald on one side. And that, that's what happened. But, you know, on a, on a more serious note, my, my heart breaks for these barbers and hairstylists, you know, that have been shut down forever. Oh, my. It really does. <laughs> it's just, honey, go to town. <laughs> Such a funny wow. thing to say like a lot of stuff that happened at that time. This was kind of a one-day story or a small kind of blip on the Queen's Park Press Gallery, sort of insane, you know, coverage of, of all of this. And it was just kind of something that was annoying as everything else that was happening in the world. But in hindsight, a, a head of government getting his hair cut with dog clippers, is it's pretty surreal. Do you think he realized it was dog clippers at the time or do you think he realized afterward? Do you think he noticed this, like a picture of, the, of a dog on the box? There was a quote, I think a couple weeks before that, he made a joke that he was going to have to get them cut with dog clippers. What did he say? Um, he had more gel on there than you could shake a stick at. Ew. Oh, so Doug Ford confirmed that he's as sticky as he looks. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and okay, we are waiting. Yeah. Our, our producer, Kevin Sexton, is about to type the winner of Most Surreal Moment into our Ooh. Google Doc. See a lot of periods. Dun, da, da, da. Suspense. Dog clipper haircut. Okay, that's fair. Totally fair. Congratulations I, to yes. to the Ford family dog hair clippers. Wow. Okay. Whew. And the next category is best exit which was an unusually, such a competitive category this year, we could basically devote a whole episode to all the people who've been exiled from the PC party or the PC caucus. And we kind of did last month. So uh, who's your pick, Allison? For best exit, I nominate the retirement of already previously retired General Rick Hillier, who for four brief months was the head of Ontario's vaccine task force. Oh, yeah. Doug Ford appointed Hillier in uh, November 2020, saying the province needed military precision to get vaccines in arms. The problem was Hillier didn't really nail that, and the early rollout was a mess both logistically and communications-wise. The retired general was retired yet again by the end of March 2020, and Doug Ford gave him a fairly bizarre send-off video. Four months ago, when we launched the COVID-19 Vaccine Distribution Task Force, we knew we needed some big guns to tackle this monumental task. General Hillier's logistical expertise and insight have been critical to ensuring the success of Ontario's vaccination program. By early April, the vaccine task force was being helmed by Orange Air Ambulance CEO Dr. Homer Tien, and things went a lot smoother after that. I nominate Rick Hillier's departure for two reasons. One, it's a reminder, again, uh, same with the last category of how short our attention spans mm -hmm. are. The fact that this was only 12 months ago that this guy was in charge is kind of boggling. Um, and, you know, there was a significant period in time that people thought the flubbed vaccine rollout would really sink Premier Ford's re-election chances. 
But like so many things in the pandemic, the public quickly moved on to the next crisis. The second reason is that Doug Ford hiring a retired general for a job he wasn't really appropriate for as a show of strength and like literal war power, then having to quietly replace him with a public servant is pretty funny. So we should just remember that happened. Uh, I'll go with someone I'd literally never heard of until she was fired from cabinet and then resigned from the PC caucus, Lindsay Park, the now independent MPP for Durham. The chain of events that led to her being booted and then resigning is kind of um, farcical in the traditional sense of like literally a misplaced letter and being and and things like like a, not just like an email like like things in an envelope on a desk that didn't reach their intended recipient at the right time. So as best I can put together from the various news reports, um, she kind of dragged her heels in getting vaccinated last summer. But then when the PC caucus said they were going to make it mandatory uh, for their MPPs, she decided to okay look into it. She talked to her doctor, found out that you know given. According to her, her previous reactions to previous vaccines that maybe she should hold off. She says she got a referral to an allergist. Okay, like that sounds like probably a legitimate doctor. Um, she's apparently she then wrote a letter with this information, left it on an unstaffed desk in the premier's office, where it was not seen or noticed for a month. And then when the premier announced that there was one person in his caucus who had a medical exemption and she was pretty sure he was referring to someone else, she got worried, wasn't sure whether he was had seen hers. Then she was kicked. So she was in cabinet. She was a parliamentary a secretary or parliamentary assistant. She was she lost that cabinet post due to ha- supposedly having misrepresented her vaccination status. It's not entirely clear what that meant, but apparently the caucus believed something that wasn't actually the case, or they didn't think was the case. And then after that happened, she seemed to stew in that for a few weeks and then resigned, saying trust had been lost. So just the incredible comedy of errors of this MPP who I never had needed to previously know about and will probably never have to think about again. She may as well not have been there, but it was one hell of an exit. And Kevin says, and the winner is... Lindsay Park. Oh, very good. She has a distinction now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And the next category is one of our most popular. Mm -hmm. Best Fordism. Mm. Jonathan, what's the best Fordism of the year? As part of the launch of last year's Toronto Caribbean Carnival, Doug Ford proudly declared that his late brother Rob could speak Jamaican Patois better than anyone. Here he was with host Brandon Gomez on the Instagram Live event. 
You know, Premier, there was a moment during the pandemic when you were advising people to stay home. I have to ask yeah. you about it because you did a, a very a variety of languages in your messaging. And one yeah. of them that you put in there was Patois and you uh, said, Tenayayad. Tenayayad. That's it. That's, but you, you know who spoke that better than anyone was Rob. Rob was fluent. I'm telling you. But yeah, Premier. So, um, I mean, the remark about... Uh, Rob, you know, the boast about Rob was, you know, wrong and offensive, but also kind of endearing in its earnestness. It's not something anyone else in the world would ever say. And that's what makes it, to me, a perfect Fordism. Allison, what do you nominate? I'm nominating a fairly recent addition to the lexicon mm. of Fordisms. Late last month, uh, soon after Russia invaded Ukraine, Doug Ford held a press conference to discuss bringing Ukrainian refugees to Ontario. And asked by some local reporter in London whether he supports more sanctions on Russia, here's what he said. Well, that's a discussion. We'll, we'll be speaking with the federal government. Uh, I'll throw everything in the, in the kitchen book at these guys. Was that everything in the kitchen book or everything and the kitchen book? No, everything in the kitchen book at these oh. guys. So it appears Ford was mixing up the metaphor uh, to throw a book at someone and another metaphor to throw everything but the kitchen sink at something or at someone. Um, but if it were up to Ford, everything in the kitchen book is what Ontario should throw at Vladimir Putin and his oligarchs. Pretty good. What say you, Kevin? Oh, Rob Ford's Jamaican Patois, or at least Doug Ford's boast about Rob Ford's Jamaican Patois. Ah, okay. Nobody's well. more fluent than him. The next category is Best Spin. I nominate uh, Ontario's Municipal Affairs and Housing Minister Steve Clark's repeated assurances that ministers' zoning orders, or MZOs, are being used in partnership with municipalities to expedite housing that they need the most. We've talked about MZOs before. Mm -hmm. They're a mechanism that the minister can use to override a town or city's planning processes for new developments, basically just giving them a, a stamp of a provincial approval, and then shovels can get in the ground. Clark has issued about 70 of them since the PCs took office. And yes, some of them are for housing developments, including massive ones for people tied to PC donors. But other ones are used for things like film studios in Toronto. But Clark's one claim throughout this whole thing is that city councils are in the driver's seat and that MZOs come at their request. Well, except for at least one. The city of Toronto requested an MZO for a modular housing project on Cummer Avenue, which is near Bayview Village in Midtown, about 10 months ago. And Clark initially seemed willing to oblige. He gave the city MZOs for a bunch of other modular housing projects, but later reversed course on this one, saying further consultation was required. Mm. That seems to be because it is in PCMPP Stan Cho's riding of Willowdale, and homeowners there don't want people living in supportive housing to be their neighbors, and the PCs don't want to lose one of their few Toronto MPPs. The saddest part is that this is a federally funded project that Ottawa put up cash for early in the pandemic to fight homelessness. 
So now all of the modular pieces for this development are just sitting under tarps in a TTC parking lot and have been for months. So for that, I nominate Steve Clark's spin that MZOs are being used to get around the politics of local planning process, uh, and also Doug Ford's spin that without MZOs, Ontario's would be living in mud huts. That's a direct quote. Because this winter, there were actual people who could have been living on Kummer Avenue, but were instead living in homeless shelters or outside. And who do you nominate, Jonathan? So usually in this category, we highlight creativity or out-and-out bullshit. But this year, I've got to pay respect to sheer effectiveness of spin. One of the highest profile names, possibly the highest profile name, among the 93,000 on the leaked list of convoy donors was that of Richard Siano, the founder of and principal at Campaign Research, the polling firm that conducts public opinion research on behalf of the PC caucus at Queen's Park, and which makes regular presentations to Doug Ford's cabinet. His name was on there as associated with a $100 donation. Unlike the many people who lost jobs or opportunities after being identified as financial supporters of what the premier himself had called the siege, Siano simply denied it. In a statement he gave to the Star, CTV, and others, he said, I did not make any contributions whatsoever to the trucker convoy. I don't know why or how my name appears on that list. And as far as I know, he was the only person to take that approach to the appearance of their name. And it worked. The questions, for the most part, ended there. The Star's Queen's Park bureau chief tweeted that the hack list may be inaccurate. Maybe. But while it is technically possible that someone else could have made the donation using his name and his campaign research email address and the postal code that he's previously used to make political donations, it's a lot harder to fudge that information when it comes to credit card transactions. And a further leak of the actual payment data showed that the credit card for the payment was authorized with Siano's name and that same postal code. So if it wasn't him, I hope he's at least checked his Amex statement for a suspicious February 6th charge to Freedom Convoy 2022. And the winner of this year's Dougie for Best Spin is... Richard Siano. Congratulations. Yeah. He will get plenty more contracts with the government, I'm sure, as well as $240. Don't spend it on the Freedom Convoy, Richard. We're watching. (laughs) Next up is our award for Best Getaway. This award acknowledges something that, that Premier Doug Forder's government got away with without facing uh, severe political repercussions. Yeah, not not getaways in as, like, as much as like quick trip to snowmobile while there's a something you describe as a crisis going on, but rather just like, what did he manage to slip under the radar or what perhaps didn't get a proportionate amount of attention, shall we say? Jonathan, what's your nominee? Well, um, I still don't think we've properly wrestled with the fact that Thanks to Doug Ford's pettiness and petulance, the notwithstanding clause is now something that's on the table in this country. That's the provision in Canada's Charter of Rights and Freedoms that allows a federal or provincial government to run roughshod over most of the key rights and freedoms that the Charter ostensibly guarantees. All you have to do to override the Charter is to put a sentence in a bill saying that it operates notwithstanding, i.e. in spite of, the Charter. I hesitate to call it a loophole or a flaw in our Constitution because it was very much by design. Miraculously, however, it had seldom been used Uh, in the 30 years prior to its inclusion in Ford's Protecting Elections and Defending Democracy Act last spring, it had only been enacted once to discriminate against Muslims in Quebec. Doug Ford used it because he didn't like that a court had struck down his election advertising rules, and he was too impatient to even try to appeal. 
And because no one would ever take to the streets to protest an explicitly unconstitutional bill regulating election advertising, Ford basically got away with it and normalized it. As though majority governments don't already have near unilateral authority to do whatever they please, one of the most significant checks on that, the rule of law as expressed through the courts, has been dealt a blow from which it may never get a chance to recover. What's your pick, Allison, for best getaway? Mine is uh, uh, maybe equally grim. Actually, no, it's it's more grim. Um, Probably. Mine is the the disaster and, and tragedy in Ontario's long term care homes. We've discussed yeah. this on this podcast before. What you know, what happened within the past year since mm. the last Dougie Awards is that the Ontario Long Term Care Commission, which was charged with running kind of a mini public inquiry. Uh, into the the first wave uh, in long-term care. It had released a report with a bunch of recommendations, um, some of which the government agreed to, but, you know, the more major ones that would have shaken up how the how the system is run. Um, maybe one of them was that that, that uh, the for-profit homes could kind of keep their real estate holdings for companies like Extendicare and Chartwell, keep their real estate assets, continue to grow kind of as a, a hoteling company, basically, is, is how they described it, while other companies that were dedicated to care would be contracted to actually care for residents. Uh, the government forewent that possibility and is kind of really doubling down on the exact same model that got um, us into the problems in long-term care in the first place, which is, you know, temporary workers, big, huge homes with 400 residents, and and now they're within private owners. They waived liability rules for the company, protecting them and their shareholders, and they also are now subsidizing the cost of building for-profit long-term care homes even more. Mm. And... You know, we know what happened in those long-term care homes. We saw the report from the Canadian Armed Forces. We know that one of the main healthcare triage functions during the pandemic was letting people die in long-term care rather than moving them to overcrowded hospitals. We know Doug Ford never implemented a single site order that barred temp workers or temp- temporary PSWs from moving from one home to another. We know that hundreds or likely thousands of residents who didn't even have COVID died from poor care, but we're also pretty darn sure that Doug Ford's going to get reelected anyways. It's going to be Doug Ford's biggest getaway. And the winner slash loser slash just, you know, bleak, bleak sadness is the tragedy in long-term care homes. And the next award is for Doug Ford's Best Battle. Jonathan, what do you nominate as Doug Ford's Best Battle? Well, that would have to be his, or his, I think we can call it his, lawsuit against the makers of Run This Town, that crappy Rob Ford movie that no one saw anyway, except for the two of us. Listeners will be like, well, what what Rob Ford movie? The the one with Damien Lewis in a fat suit. Now now you have it in your head. Um, Because a dead person can't be defamed. The filmmakers instead were sued for misappropriation of personality and breach of privacy by Doug Ford in his role as executor of his late brother's estate. 
Doug brought the suit just as the first wave of COVID was ramping up in late March 2020, and he was working to get it settled as late as February of last year on the precipice of the chaotic and terrifying third wave. And remarkably, none of that got reported until after they'd reached a settlement when the star broke the news in April. I wish it had gone to trial. There's not a lot of Canadian case law around misappropriation of personality. I actually hadn't heard of it, but obviously I'm not a tort lawyer. Uh, and it seems to have been some time since anyone actually successfully sued for that in Canada. Um, what made this such a needless battle, an extra needless and just incredible battle, is that, as mentioned, pretty much no one had actually seen or was ever even likely to see the crappy movie. But if word of the suit had gone out sooner, it could only have drawn far more attention to a movie that would have had no other reason to deserve it. What's your nominee, Allison? My nominee for Doug Ford's best battle is his battle with the provincial deficit. Mm. As we head into uh, spring budget season at Queen's Park, the PCs and Doug Ford in particular have a bit of a balancing act where they want to uh, give away lots of money back to taxpayers. Uh, you know, these $240 rebate checks we keep talking about. Mm -hmm. And they also probably want to stack that budget with some more little goodies for uh, mm -hmm. people that vote for them. Actually, we saw, did you notice how they're giving um, go transit to mm -hmm. local transit discounts all over yeah. the GTA, but not at the TTC. <laughs> is that, yeah, I, I, I did see that, but I couldn't quite figure Ooh. out who's, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, rude, rude, I say. You know, Doug Ford came into office with a, you know, his normal stop the gravy train uh, type uh, mentality, although the f only time they really ever cut down the deficit was in 2019, um, which was like incredibly maligned and it ended up making him have to fire oh, his yeah, uh, yeah. first finance minister, Vic Fidelli. Since then, they've been able to blame COVID on, you know, a release like the highest deficit of all time, which they had in 2020. Um, but they they seem really keen on I don't think they'll balance the budget, but they want it to progressively get lower and lower. And it seems like if you listen to the financial accountability officer at Queen's Park, what's been happening over the past year is that ministries are quietly spending quite a bit less on programs than they've been allocated. Uh, to put this in simple terms, for example, the Ministry of Education was told it could spend $1.7 billion on building and repairing schools over this fiscal year. But by the time the first three quarters of the year were up, only 43% of that was spent. Now the government says that spending doesn't happen all at the same time and that they're not doing this on purpose. But I think what we're going to see in the budget is that the deficit gets lower uh. because of a lot of the money they said they were going to spend just never got spent. Um, uh. So, yes, these are the tricky little battles Doug Ford's playing with the deficit. Down the road, people are going to notice that, you know, schools aren't getting fixed or repaired or, you know, tons of other programs aren't operating to their full capacity. But in the short term, it's pretty easy for the PCs to kind of hide that from the public and distract them with a rebate check. So uh, the, we have two good nominees. Solid. The winner, as determined by our producer, is Doug Ford versus the movies for its sheer pointlessness. Congratulations to Run This Town. Mm -hmm. Once again, <laughs> more attention than they deserved. Mm -hmm. 
our penultimate award this evening, this afternoon, today, this morning, whenever you happen to be listening to this, our penultimate award is most blatant conflict of interest, or perhaps for legal reasons, most blatant apparent conflict of interest. Allison. I nominate the PC's decision to give FH Health, a private COVID testing clinic, a contract to dole out vaccines earlier this year. Hmm. This was a story that Queen's Park Today's reporter Alan S. Hale broke, and I don't think we've talked about it on the show no, yet. No, I don't know the story. Tell me. Yeah. So FH Health first made news around Christmas when it started opening up COVID testing sites, uh, one in the Eden Center and somewhere in other malls around the GTA, and they were charging up to $350 for a test. Now, that was happening at the same exact a time. rapid test or a PCR test? A uh, PCR test. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, like, it would cheaper if you waited longer for the results, but that was kind of the top-tier price. Um, And that happened at the exact same time the province canceled widespread public testing, and obviously uh, tens of thousands of people were getting Omicron and kind of wanted to test, Uh. and this kind of became a bit of a symbol of, like, uh, yucky privatization. Um, What Alan found out is that the company's entire board made hefty donations to the PC party last fall, all within a few days of each other. The NDP later identified that a bunch of their family members did as well. Um, And then at some point around that time, the Ministry of Health uh, gave them a deal to, I guess, I mean, they probably needed some clearance to be able to offer these for-profit tests. Um, but also let them do public testing for free. So some of the clinics you could also get a public test at some point, but that went oh. away. Now it's now you can only pay for it. Um, so we didn't really know about that, and that's like, I mean, not great, but it was already kind of happening anyways. Other companies had this deal, like Swift Health or is it Switch, whatever. Um, But in January, Education Minister Stephen Lecce stepped out to announce that the company would also be giving vaccines at 10 of its clinics, including one at the Toronto Zoo. Uh, And these were going to be for teachers and students because at that point they weren't allowed in schools because Lecce had closed the schools. And, you know, first, like immediately that seemed weird to me because I was like, everyone's really mad at this company right now or two weeks ago. Um, Why are we giving them vaccine contracts? And also, like, you know, the the public health vaccine clinics were working at massive capacity at that point. Um, Why do we need? Yeah. Why? Why? Uh, So what we found out after some digging is that the solicitor general gave them an emergency procurement. So a sole source contract. Uh, to offer these vaccines, which, again, it's a company whose board and family donated tons of money to the PCs to kind of, it seems, you know, weasel themselves into this system where they can get contracts at all. And that the sole source contract to let them give vaccines to teachers and kids or teachers and students, like within immediately, they were just giving it to everybody. So it was basically all an excuse for Stephen Lecce to be able to give like a one day good announcement and Doug Ford to get to go uh, tour the zoo. And we don't know yet how much money has been taxpayer money has been wasted on this one uh, trip to the zoo announcement. But I bet you it's a lot. So, and what's your nominee, Jonathan, for... Most blatant conflict of interest. 
I'm just going to say that I still think it's deeply wild that the Toronto Sun's Queen's Park columnist, Brian Lilly, has been in a long-term cohabitation relationship with the Premier's Director of Communications, and neither he nor the Sun have ever disclosed that fact to readers or publicly acknowledged it. And nearly a full year after Candleland first reported this, not even the parent company, Postmedia, which has several genuinely credible newspapers in its stable, has ever acknowledged it itself. Uh, I'm not looking for anyone to get in trouble, of course, but like, you know, people at Postmedia have gotten in trouble for less. In 2019, the Calgary Herald published a rueful message to readers after it turned out a columnist had failed to disclose her paid membership in Alberta's United Conservative Party. In 2011, the Toronto Sun temporarily pulled columnist Sue Ann Levy off the Pride Beat after Extra reported that she'd been quietly lobbying city council on that very same subject. If she is writing about the issue, it creates the appearance of conflict, the Sun's editor-in-chief, James Wallace, said at the time. These days, Wallace is the chief of staff to Premier Ford, and looking at the timing of his jump to Queen's Park, one of the last decisions he would have overseen at the Sun was very likely the hiring of Lily as the paper's politics columnist. So, for all of that reason, this whole messy situation is the most blatant conflict of interest. Uh, certainly, as long certainly as long as it doesn't go uh, disclosed. Oh, the winner is FH Health. Congratulations, Brian Lilly. You've gotten away again. And our final category of the evening, the best picture, if you will, Doug Ford's Greatest Achievement. Jonathan, what's your nominee? For for Greatest Achievement, uh, I would say, um, well, the Toronto Sun is a newspaper made up of inflammatory headlines. It's practically an inflammatory headline come to life, or at least padded out to 40 pages. And as we've already discussed, they rarely apologize or back down about things. Uh, I mean, shortly after the start of the 2020 George Floyd protest, the paper was widely called out for a glib front page notice about the shooting death of a young Toronto hip hop artist, and they merely conceded they had meant no disrespect. So it was pretty remarkable when on Sunday, June 27th of last year, the Sun ran a page to apology. An inflammatory headline appeared in Saturday's Toronto Sun regarding Kyla Ford's cookie store. It was in poor taste, and the Sun apologizes for any harm caused. That headline was Ford's KK Cookies Leave a Bad Taste. It's three capital K's and then the rest of the word cookies, but cookies would leave a bad taste. It was about how one of Ford's daughters, Kyla, was being mocked online for the name of her cookie store, which she'd called Kai Kai Cookies, Kai K-Y, K-Y, Cookies with a K. Um, Because she'd spelled cookies with a K, the initials added up to, yeah, you get it. Um, It was a whatever thing, and she changed the name pretty quickly, deciding to just spell cookies with a C, as one does. But someone managed to squeeze out of the sun what appeared to be its first ever apology for what they called an inflammatory headline. That is an achievement. What do you nominate, Allison, for Greatest Achievement? My nominee for Greatest Achievement is the Doug Ford government's 
success in changing the political fundraising rules in such a way that the PC party could raise nearly as much money last year as the Kathleen Wynne liberals did when there were basically no fundraising rules. This was their goal and they nailed it. The PC party raised $8.6 million in 2021 thanks to their move to double the political donation maximum. Uh, They actually probably raised more than $8.6 million because Elections Ontario does not count, uh, disclose uh, donations under $200. So this is remarkably close to, if not more in practice, than the $9.2 million that uh, former Premier Wynne's Liberal government raised at the height of the cash for access scandal in 2015. As a result of that scandal, Wynne banned corporate donations and union donations and made a bunch of other election financing rules that the PCs slowly eroded to the point that just six years later, there is exactly as much money in provincial politics as there was at the time. And yet they are facing a lot less heat for it. That, Mm. in an election year, is an achievement. Mm -hmm. And the winner is... Changing the fundraising laws to enrich the Progressive Conservative Party. Congratulations. And that brings our ceremony to a close. Congratulations to the winners. Your check's in the mail because I'm not sure if the provincial government does direct deposit. And thanks for joining us for what may be the last Duggies. Maybe the last Duggies. The True Audience Choice Award will be handed out on June 2nd when Ontarians head to the polls. It's your vote, Ontario. Only you can decide whether Doug Ford remains premier and the Duggies live on for another four years. So that was the Duggies, the second biggest thing to happen on Spadine Avenue this week. If you like this podcast, there's something small you can do to help us out. We are asking listeners to do a quick survey. It only takes about seven to ten minutes and will help us understand you better and get your thoughts on the Canada Land Network and the podcast we make. You can do that at canadaland.com slash survey. I'm Allison Smith, and you can find me on Twitter at Queen's Park Today. You can also drop us a line to our email address, wagthedog at canadaland.com. I'm Jonathan Goldsby. You can find me on Twitter at Goldsby. Kevin Sexton produced this episode. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn, and our theme music is by Nathan Burley, with additional music credits in the show notes. And again, if you have a moment, you can help us out by going to candleland.com slash survey. Thank you. Hey, 
WAG listeners, it's Allison, reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Candleland supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Candleland shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of our podcasts. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Candleland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. For $2 a month, you can become a supporter and do your part to ensure we can continue making this show. And we really like making this show for you. Basically nothing costs $2 anymore. You could like get a bag of candy, a locker at a public swimming pool. I've been honestly trying to think of something that cheap and I'm not getting far. So sign up for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today.